Amen. Thank you, Donnell. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 22. And if you do not have a Bible, the ones that are located at the end of the pew is yours to have if you need it. And you feel free to take that if you need it. Also, the passage we're going to be looking at and the sermon notes are in your worship guide as well, so you can use those if you'd like also. Before I get started on our sermon series, I want to say a quick word and a thank you to those of you who took time to fill out the survey. I call it the unchurched survey that I presented last week. Had 89 people make some sort of response, so I'm very, very grateful for all those who filled that out. Uh, that survey had to do, really came down to the bottom line question was if, if you had not invited an unchurched person to church in the past six months, why is that the case? And I asked for the responses to be anonymous and honest. I'm pretty sure they were all honest. Not all of them were anonymous, but that's okay. So I am prayerfully considering everything that was written. I'm the only one who's seen those responses so far. And I think the bottom line to me is this, no matter what we put on that as a reason, I think the song that the choir sang sums it up. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. The unchurched, those who aren't attending church, those who don't know Christ, those for some reason, maybe they're believers and not out of the fellowship, they need the Lord. Now we have the Lord, amen? We have the Lord. So let's share the Lord we have with others. And I encourage you to not let any reason keep you from doing that. I think that's very important for our Christian life. Where we're going through a series entitled Purpose, Mission, Vision, Discovering God's Dream for His Church. I believe God has a dream that He wants to see fulfilled in the life of the church. We've talked about purpose, and the idea of purpose is simply the why. Why do we do the mission? And it comes down to the statement for me. We exist and pursue our mission because of God's work in us and God's calling upon us. Because of God's work in us, because of God's calling upon us. God has saved us, He's redeemed us, He's forgiven us, He's made His will known to us. That's awesome. And he's called us to make disciples. He's called us to make disciples. And because of that, we have a mission. Now, this mission statement that you see is yours. And a mission statement is very, very important. Did you know that whether or not you know it, you have a mission statement in your life? If I were to follow you around for a period of time, I could probably write your mission statement. It could be anything from make more money, be famous, do something in the community, be prominent, love my children. But everybody has a lived-out mission statement, whether they write it down or not. I think the key is to find a mission statement that best reflects God's will for our life. And you've done a wonderful job of doing that in what you see presented here, which is building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, we will pursue and fulfill our mission by doing these things. I always have to check to make sure I've got these right. Loving God, loving others, serving all, which is where we'll be today. Yeah, that's serving all. And making disciples. And I know you're probably saying, well, Brother John, you know, I hear this a lot. I've heard this a number of weeks. Here's why you've heard it so often. Because if this is going to be our corporate mission statement, it can't just be something we know and memorize. It has to be something we embrace. And it makes sense that if, if we're willing to embrace it, then we're comfortable seeing it on a regular basis. Wouldn't you think? 
If it's a mission statement, if it is truly our mission statement, then this ought to be something that we ought to embrace for our lives individually and corporately as a church. So today we're talking about serving all. We're working our way up here, serving all. And we're in Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27. So let's stand in honor of God's word. This is the end of Jesus' life, the day before he will die, and an argument begins among his followers. Here's how it goes. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet, I am among you as the one who serves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to understand what it means to serve. Help us to understand it not just in our actions, but in our attitude. And may we do it from the right heart. May it flow from our relationship with you. Help us to be faithful servants of you more than anything else. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me just give you a working definition of serve. This is, this is my working definition of serve. I think somebody, there it is. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit dry mouthed today, so I'm going to drink a little water up here. Hope you will forgive me for that. Caring for the needs of others as the Lord guides in an active, practical way. It's just my working definition. Caring for the needs of others as the Lord guides in an active, and practical way. Now, I believe this is serving with a gospel component. We should serve and help those with their physical needs. We should help people that have physical needs. One of the things that they're going to do in Africa this week, and I believe part of next week, is they're going to provide school supplies for the kids who are in the school. I think that's wonderful. But Christian service is not just providing for the physical needs. Christian service also should have a gospel component to it. That's what makes it Christian service. And if we build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ, if we love others, and if we truly love God, it's going to have a gospel component to it. Period. So as we talk about service today, I want you to understand that is where I am coming from as we take a look at this. So the Bible uses many different words to describe service, but I want to point to two real quick. Excuse me, I'm sorry. As we take a look at this, one is the word diakonos. Does anybody know what word we get from diakonos? Deacon, get the word deacon. And the word diakonos comes from the idea of a willing servant. It is the idea of a servant, but it's the idea of a willing servant. That's what the word deacon means, is a willing servant. Servant, And some of these passages will use the word diakonos. But then there's another word that's going to be used one time in a very specific place, and that word is doulos. 
If any of you ever read, read the Bible and grew up reading the term bond servant, do you ever remember seeing that phrase or bond slave? The word doulos is a little bit more intense. The word doulos literally means to give yourself wholly to another's will. To give yourself wholly to another's will. It means to be subject to that person. It means to be totally obedient to that person. Both of these words play into what it means for us to be a servant and to serve all. So let's start at the beginning. Jesus set the example for service. Amen? Jesus set the example. If we're going to build the thing on the foundation of Jesus Christ, He set the example for service. There's actually two passages that are that are almost exactly identical. I, I, I have the Mark 10.45 passage, but I'll read to you the Matthew 20.28 20, passage as well. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then it says in Matthew 20.28, 20, almost the very same thing, it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So it's mentioned twice in the Gospels. If anyone had a right, and this is the word diakonos, this is the willing servant. So our Lord, who had a right to come to be served, chose to come willingly to serve us. You hear that? He chose to willingly come and serve us. If anybody had a right to be served, it was Jesus. He's the Son of God, and the universe was made for Him, not you. But Jesus' goal was not to come and get what he deserved. Listen. Jesus' goal was to come and get what he didn't deserve, which was the cross, so that we could get what we didn't deserve, which is salvation. You ever thought about that? The two passages that come to mind when I think about Jesus as an example, as a servant, first is in John 13. John 13 is sort of the John parallel to Luke 22. And you have to read it alongside of Luke 22 to sort of get an idea of what's going on there. Here's what happens. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already spoken to the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, this is what he did. He rose from the supper, he laid aside his garments, he took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And then a little bit farther down, Jesus makes this statement. He says to them, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down, Jesus said to them, do you not know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Service by action. We'd all agree service by action is very, very important. Wouldn't you agree? Service. You're going to serve all, serve with your actions. But it's more than just your actions. It's also your attitude. 
You know, you can have serving actions, but not a serving attitude. Jesus also gave us the example of a serving attitude. Philippians chapter 2, Paul, talking to the Philippian church, reminds them of Jesus Christ's mindset and having a servant's heart. When he says these words to them, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each consider others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for the interest of his own own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. That's that word, taking the form of a slave, a doulos. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's not just action. That's an attitude. That's a mindset. And if Jesus set the example for doing service and thinking like a servant, beloved, if you're a believer, you ought to have the same example you ought to be following in every aspect of your life as well. Brother John, you don't know how people treat me when I act like a servant or when I have an attitude of a servant. Well, I can tell you this. They treated Jesus pretty harsh too, didn't they? They treated him pretty harsh too. But that's what we're called to. To have the life and heart and mind of Jesus. He set the example. The second thing I want you to see is serving Jesus has its consequences. Serving Jesus has its consequences. Now, when we speak of serving all, We understand ultimately this is about serving Jesus. And as we serve Jesus, we are able to effectively serve everyone we're supposed to. So, what does this mean? Serving Jesus has its consequences. Take a look at John 12, 26. And this is that word diakonos again. It's the word for willing servant. Willing servant. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Isn't that an interesting statement? Not just let let him follow me, but him my father will honor. So if you serve Jesus and serve him willingly, then there are some things that are going to be true. There are some consequences. There are some byproducts of this you need to see. First, notice this. You cannot serve Jesus without following him. You cannot serve Jesus without following him. Jesus said so. The word follow means to accompany him, to attend, to attach yourself to him. What does that mean for us as we serve? It means we can't serve Jesus or others from a distance. I think the clearest example of of following Jesus from a distance to me is Peter when he denied our Lord. Because he was following Jesus, wasn't he? He was following just close enough that people said, hey, aren't you that guy that followed him? And you remember what Peter said? Not me. So if you're going to serve him, follow him and follow him closely. That's why building on the foundation of Jesus and loving God has got to come before serving. 
There's got to be an attachment, a relationship, a fellowship. And second, second, this is, this is a neat thing to me. If you truly serve Jesus, God the Father will honor you. And that honor word is a very strong word. It's the idea of show reverence toward. It's a word we'd almost not expect to be used when it's God doing it to us. He will honor you if you'll follow Jesus, if you'll serve Jesus. He'll honor you. And I was trying to think of a good illustration of this, and my illustration is probably going to show you what uh, a nerd I am. Okay? But this is the best illustration I could come up with. How many of you have ever seen the Lord of the Rings movies? No, Return of the King, the Lord of the Rings. Don't be shy, I have to, okay? If you haven't, that's fine. You don't have to go see it. Okay, I'll give you, okay, the good guys win in the end. That's all you need to know, all right? So there is this scene, and the story is basically about this ring that has to be destroyed, and these four short insignificant characters play a major role in the movie in destroying the ring. They're called hobbits. There's Merry, Pippin, Frodo, and Samwise. And they go off on this adventure with other characters, and one of the main characters is the king. He's hiding himself as the king, but he's the king. His name is Aragorn. And after everything is done and they've destroyed the ring and they have this great victory and the king is coronated, everybody's there for the coronation. You have this scene where the king is welcoming all of his subjects and he walks up to these four hobbits who are probably about that tall, who are just there honoring the king and they all bow to him. And then he looks at them and he goes, my friends, you bow to no one. And then he and everybody else bow to them. Which is a really cool... He's showing honor. Now we understand they're not the king. He's showing reverence. He's showing honor to them. But it, it was such a picture that came to my mind that, and they're looking around going, what in the world's going on? Why are they all bowing to us? But can I tell you, there's a wonderful phrase in Scripture and a wonderful event in Scripture that speaks to this, when you potentially can stand before the Lord one day and He will say these words. He won't bow, I don't believe. But He'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And He will give you honor. Now, beloved, I can tell you what. You can get a lot of honor in this world, but it don't mean anything next to the honor that God wants to give you. Amen. So following Jesus has its consequences. Serving Jesus has its consequences. We attach ourselves to him, and God gives us honor. Number three, you ought to serve others out of liberty and love. Serve others out of liberty and love. Paul makes this statement in Galatians 5.13 when he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. And whenever you see that word flesh, think of the idea of yourself, for yourself. But through love, 
serve one another. And I think that's why it's so important to understand love others has got to come before serve all. Because it's through love that we serve. Amen? It's through love that we serve. So, and this word, here's the interesting thing. So far the words have been diakonos. They've been willing servant. But Paul all of a sudden uses a different word. He uses the word doulos. He uses doulos. Remember, doulos is the idea of being a slave. It's the idea of surrendering your will to another. So this is just a loaded statement. First, let's talk about the motivation for serving all. Plain and simple, it's love. That's our motivation. Agape love is the motivation for us continuously serving one another. And let me remind us that love is not primarily an emotion. It's a decision wrapped in conviction and rooted in devotion. It is an obeyable command, but only when we have the love of God toward us can we faithfully obey it. We can only serve all when we determine to love all. Let me say that again. We can only serve all when we determine to love all. That includes loving our enemies and serving them. That includes loving the lost and serving them. Loving our neighbor and serving them by being a neighbor. It means loving other believers and serving them. It means loving ourselves in the right way. Love must be our motivation. And take a look at that word liberty. The word means freedom. We are called to be free as believers. No longer bound by sin. But Paul warned them that they would be tempted to take that freedom and run with it and do whatever they wanted. But what he said they needed to do was take that freedom and choose slavery. It's literally what he's saying. Take that freedom and choose slavery. He's literally saying, you are free. Now go and be motivated by your love for one another to be a slave to one another. Wow. So why do you serve? Why do you serve? That's a hard attitude to have, isn't it? To say that toward others. And that's really the heart of this section of the sermon. Why do you serve? Why are you caring for the needs of others as the Lord guides in an active and practical way in the church and in the world, if not in love? It means serving others as if you are sold out to them and surrendered to them, not serving your own self-interest, but serving them like you're their slave. That's what Paul said. So Jesus set the example for service. Serving Jesus has its consequences. We serve others out of liberty and love. And then the last thing I want you to see is that the greatest Christian is the one who serves. The greatest Christian is the one who serves. Look at, back at our beginning passage, Luke 22, 27. Jesus says these words. He says, For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. And the word here is the word for willing servant. Have you ever thought about who the greatest person in our church is? Is it the person who gives the most money? Is it the person who does the most stuff? 
Is it the person who has the most Bible knowledge? Is it the oldest member? Is it the most faithful member? Is it the longest standing member? I would propose to you the greatest member of our church is the one who serves the most like Jesus did. That's what I would propose. And Jesus said to his followers that there are two mindsets when it comes to service. There is what I'm going to call table sitters and table waiters. There is the table sitter mindset. And I was watching an interview between two celebrities yesterday, and this came to the forefront because they said to one another in the interview, what, what is the greatest benefit that you see from being a celebrity? And it wasn't the money or anything else. It was getting the good seats at restaurants. Okay? Can I tell you, though, that, that we generally, if we take a worldly attitude, our mindset can be, I want the best seat. Give me the best seat. Because it's the idea of, this is just our human nature, is it not? We want to be waited on, and we want to be waited on well. We expect to be waited on well. Because the table-sitter mindset is the world's mindset. Even to the point Jesus said that we look on the table sitters as the benefactors. Here's the table waiters out here who are taking care of the tables, who wear the aprons. They wear the aprons. And they wait on us. And, and if we're good, we'll tip them. We'll pay them. But here's the benefactors. The Lord of the Gentiles exercise authority like this. But then Jesus makes this statement that I'm sure throws them for a little bit of a loop. Because remember, what are they fussing about in this passage? Who is the what? Who's the greatest? He said, there we go. Not so among you. Because the one who's greatest is the one who does what? Serves. The one who's greatest is the one who serves. So Jesus, and we run from John 13, took off his clothes, put on what was his equivalent of the apron, and he did what? He served. He served. Now, we're talking about a mindset here, and this is what I believe about Jesus. There were times Jesus sat at the table. There were times Jesus sat at the table, but I don't believe Jesus ever had a table-sitting mindset. You understand what I mean by that? Because there are times people waited on him, but it was not natural because our Lord came as a servant and he served. And we're called to have the same attitude. You can put on an apron and look the role of a servant and not have a servant's mindset. Can you not? You can do that. But our Lord says, don't just serve outwardly. The greatest Christian is not just the one who has a servant's body. It's the one who has the servant's heart. So how's your heart? Are you a table waiter in your heart? Are you a table sitter in your heart? Because the greatest Christian is the one who serves. So, Jesus set the example for service. Serving others has its consequences. We serve others out of liberty and love. And the greatest Christian is the one who serves. So I'm going to leave you with this one question. 
How's your service? How's your service? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where you are in your relationship to the Lord today, but I want you to know what Jesus did for you. The creator of the universe, the Lord of everything, the Lord Jesus Christ, who didn't deserve to be treated the way he was treated, humbled himself, emptied himself of anything that would keep him from fulfilling his responsibility as sacrificed and high priest for your sins. He became a servant, became a servant that was obedient unto death, even death on the cross, so that you might be saved if you would trust in him. And today, Jesus Christ, that's the good news. We are selfish by nature. We are sinners by nature. God longs to save you. God longs to save you. And the one who did not deserve to be a servant became a servant so that you could get what you did not deserve. So have you given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? I would invite you to do that today. If you've never trusted in Jesus, I would encourage you to do that today. In just a second, as we have the invitation, you'll have an opportunity to respond and give your heart to Jesus. I'll be down front afterwards. I'd love to talk with you more. Maybe you're a believer here today and you've come to the realization that, you know, I'm, I'm, my mindset's more of a table sitter than a table waiter. I'd rather sit and be served than serve. That wasn't Jesus' example. So I'd encourage you to take a look at your own life. See what God does say with you, to say to you about serving. Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts. Help us to come before you as your servants. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.